Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Benevolent Banter, my favorite podcast, not only because it's mine, but because I get to share some awesome bants with awesome folks the world over. Today, the fella joining me is 6,000 miles away, uh, but you sound crystal clear. Would you mind uh... introducing... Banter! (laughs) Would you mind um, introducing yourself, please, my friend? Uh, kia ora everybody, it is, uh, my name is Rebet, and I am friends with you. <laughs> is, that a, is that a good way Seriously, to start? That is the most succinct and beautiful way. Hello, I'm um, Rebet, we're friends. <laughs> we are friends. Friend, tell me a little bit about you, what you do, where you are. You obviously have a little bit of a Kiwi accent, but uh, mm-hmm. you're not in New Zealand right now, so give us a little bit about you. Yes, uh, I am a misfit of entrepreneur with entrepreneurial tendencies, and uh, <laughs> been fortunate enough to, I guess, travel the world in a previous life as a professional snowboarder. Kind of come from elite sport into sort of business stuff and in the media and tech space. And I am currently in uh, America in San Fran. My wife's um, from San Francisco, and I've been back and forth to the states for maybe almost seventeen years now. Actually, I was doing the math today, so. Um, yeah, you know, New Zealand's home and also America. I've been back and forth many years. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Uh, hood kid done good. There you go. Hood kid done good. I absolutely love that. <laughs> hood kid gone global. Um, I wanted to talk to you today about some of my favorite C words because I think that, Rebet, if anybody can bant on the old C words, like we just talked about, there's none going gonna to be four letters unless you want to talk cash. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm not paying you cash. for this. No, I don't want to. Talk. No, I, I was saying no. We could talk about cash, like currency, like yeah, the. Yeah. Um, I wasn't saying um, what's your your postal address to send you an invoice, or you do the same to me. <laughs> I was actually around like <laughs> the world of like money now after this whole thing as well. So no, wherever you want to go, I'm I'm, I'm happy to. Well, we can we can jump into that if you want. Actually, um, the currency debate, or or. We could go somewhere really comfortable for me, which is I wanted to talk to you about content, yes. um, storytelling, um, and then I guess an offshoot C word from that would be like connection, because the reason I think that even you and I met IRL was because we were friends online for a long time, because I feel I love the way you said you were a misfit uh, with entrepreneurial <laughs> tendencies, because there's been, kind of, you know, you, when you find your little groove and you find your crew, I've always felt like you were one of the people who when social media and community and all of these connections really started to build, you just jumped in headlong, no fear, and started building all of these communities off the back of your content, even before content was the cool thing. So tell me a bit about about that. What drives you to create as much as you create? Yeah, it's an interesting one, right? So I had I've been creating and filming and taking photos and I've been a creator forever. Um, but like literally I, I would remember I was, you know, 11, 12 years old and I'd be trying to figure out how to get, you know, cameras working and filming and, and all the rest of it. And then a big one for me was, you know, when I um, became a professional snowboarder and I was, you know, traveling around the world, whatever, essentially what you do is you kind of, um, you're going to love a few C words here. You basically con- you convert your calendar into content and you convert the content into currency. And so the commercialization of that content was essentially something that I've lived and breathed for almost 20 years. You know, like you would, I would 
frame up a specific shot knowing that it would get shot portrait because I knew then it would have more of a shot for the cover, which means then I would roll the dice more so I could potentially get a bigger paycheck with my incentives, right? So I would literally craft and curate, there are a few more C words for you, craft and curate um, the content and the media I was shooting because I understood of how I would actually make money from it as a living. So the that journey of how content goes to community was a massive one and, and a big one for me as far as when it came to the business side was actually, yes, I understood content, yes, I could create, but why I initially did it was because for about, about 18 months um, when I was first sort of popping up in the scene and doing my thing, because I was living in Wanaka doing the snowboard thing, my wife got into nursing school up in Auckland, so we decided to, sh- to shift up there and and I would meet a, you know, a, a bunch of people all the time, but basically what would happen is every time I'd meet them, I would, we would ha- have a coffee for an hour or catch up, whatever. I'd spend, you know, 75% of the meeting copy pasting the exact same conversation, which was my story to give them context. Right. And then I realized that they got to the end of the year and I said, essentially I've been 75% inefficient with my time and I've wasted nine out of the 12 months saying the actual same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. I was like, stuff that. And then I realized, wait a second, if I create content, which was um, not only would it scale context about who I am and how I rolled, it could actually help like educate uh, others to things that were in my in my head, and it would be able to scale scale my thinking. So I, I kind of put in my head, I was like, oh, cool. So content scales context, perfect. And so I actually initially did it because then when I'd start getting hit up for coffees, you know, there's only so many coffees you can do, and I would rather put one piece of video out for one minute that gets to a million people, than have ten thousand coffees and only be able to help ten thousand people. So so my headspace was super easy. It was like, how do I use content as my biggest hack to save me time, to give others context of who I am and how I roll, to help a whole bunch of people, gain connections, build community and and do my thing. So mine was very strategic. And as soon as I decided to do it, I set myself a forward goal. My forward goal was um, who owns LinkedIn visually. And it was very specific because Mm. um, it was those four words because I knew that we were text and LinkedIn was text and it was about to go photos and videos. I knew that everyone that was on there wasn't creative. I knew that I could create more than anyone and I wanted to own the spots. Like who, like who's the individual owns, like who dominates it. LinkedIn is the platform, um, you know, and that, that was, that was my thing. Like, and visually, cause I knew it was going to become photo and, and, and video. So that was kind of the framework is, you know, I'd fortunate enough, I had 20 years of experience creating and producing and editing and filming and, and cutting down. Then I realized there was a huge inefficiency of my life with, I was spending more time having coffees and not being unscalable with the thinking. And then I realized that I saw where the market was going to go. So you add all those things up together and probably exactly to your point, Cass. And now that's where I guess I popped out of nowhere and have been so consistent because that's literally been the reality. And, and yeah, so is that kind of a good, I guess it's a good, I think, I guess. That yeah. that's very good. Um, I counted you threw in twelve words that started with C. That was fantastic. Um, <laughs> but the last one you said there, which which I think nobody could argue against, especially with you and all of the different interviews that you're doing and the people um, that you're kind of, you know, you're extrapolating their stories from them. And I love that you said scalable, but you're consistent about it. So I mean, mm. over the course of even the last six weeks. I've been absolutely amazed by how often and how much time and effort you've put into being consistent with interviewing people. And you're interviewing people from like 
female founders to what last night you had Rob Fife on. And you're, you're not just LinkedIn now, you've taken your live streams, you've taken your interviewing, you've taken your banter across all of the major platforms. So tell me about, tell me about that. Tell me about the sacrifice because it is a sacrifice, you know, even putting aside an hour, setting up all the tech, making sure everybody, you know, has a mic or they sound good or they look good. Tell me about that kind of a sacrifice. And then once you create all of that content, how are you packaging it up to do exactly what you just said to scale it? Yes. So specifically for me, I, when we went, when we were going to go into lockdown, I started getting kind of messages and texts and, you know, from crew. Cause what happens is it's fortunate and it's, it's a blessing and a curse, right? It's a blessing that I'm very relatable and approachable that people don't feel bad to hit me up genuinely if they don't even know me to ask me about whatever, right? I think it's super, mm-hmm. like it's a, that's a, ridiculous privilege but it comes with responsibility which is then when if shit's about to get bad and not good then I get fearful for them and so what was kind of coming through the channels was um about to lose my job recession coming stress with wifey stress with this stress with that it was a lot of stress and and bad and I and I was looking at the mainstream media and it was just pandemic and clickbait bullshit and just everywhere I turned on the media side just felt it was just toxic and negative and just it was circling people into bad actions as humans and I'm like this is stuffed like where's a Mm. where's a platform of positivity right and I've always been a pretty you know ridiculously optimistic you know radically sort of positive dude regardless and I was like stuff that why don't I literally just open my Rolodex with a bunch of different crew that I know and let's have actual just conversations and chats about this and help it out. And, and I commit, I said, stuff it through all level four. I'm just going to go to town. I'm doing this full time. And, and for five weeks, I was doing up to five or six, um, a day, you yeah. know? So I, I was doing literally, I'd go, uh, flipping some days I'd be on air for six hours, kind of straight really, which was, yeah. which was stuffed. Yeah. But, um, and, and I think like within that four weeks, whatever it was, I think we got up to about over 70 different interviews, right? And that's stupid. Wow. So for me, it wasn't actually me. It was the fact that New Zealand was having a moment and I knew that I had a platform to be able to help at, at scale, I guess, to, to all of it. And what was amazing was the feedback that started coming through of it felt like it was a safe space for them to feel like it, they weren't alone because everyone felt physically alone. So yeah, for, for me, it was just more... Um, it felt like it was, it sounds weird, but it kind of felt like a duty of. Yeah, no, it doesn't sound weird. I, I feel that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so that's yeah. just kind of what, what, what I felt. And that's why I just committed, went nuts and went to town. And now, and, and the day I finished, we went from four to three. Then now I'm just going, now I'm going one, one a day. Um, But before that, it was literally, I did, you know, 70 or 80 in, in four weeks. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was it basically every time I signed on, you were there, but the breadth of folks that you were talking to. And I think I, the best thing that I saw come out of this was exactly what you said. It's, it's almost like a duty of care, right? If you're going to lead and properly lead in any kind of um, aspect of life, you, you have to have that duty of care to serve others. Um, and I was talking to my brother, who's a surgeon in Detroit, about how others can help you know, with the pandemic, because I felt like my hands were tied as a content creator, as as a brand strategist, like, how the hell do you help? And he said, like, Cass, you're using your platform, you're helping. So 
you know, he grounded that you've said that. And I feel like what you've been able to do is to just maintain that reckless optimism, right? The positivity I was seeing on LinkedIn, so many people going down the the garden path of I'm scared and Hey, so what do we do when we're scared? We're going to go take advantage of other people. How are we going to take advantage of them? We're going to look at this as an opportunity. And I was just like, Oh, Shit, unless your opportunity is exactly what you just said to be positive and to help us get through this, because I do believe that this too will pass. Um, then I, I it, for me, it just broke my heart a little bit to see everybody flailing. So that that mm-hmm. content creation, I think, uh, watching from the outside and, and looking at you was actually a hand up for a lot of people. I know you and I hopped yep. on and talked for like 45 minutes and I haven't told you this yet. But out of that 45 minutes, I've gotten three um, projects. I'm, I'm working with three small businesses. Um, That's awesome. We're working it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's exactly what you said. These are small businesses who are just needing a little bit of help to go, okay, what do we do in level four? Great. Now we're in level three. And then how do we transition back into things like um, tourism and, and domestic travel and all of those kinds of things? And it, it just feels like helpfulness. So... Yeah, it's a, um, you know, one of my sort of mentors said to me last last year when I was um, going through a few things and he was just like, mate, you know, you, you have a, you have great privilege now, you know, you, you need to be aware of that privilege and you need to understand that that also comes with great responsibility. It's, it's a, it's a two-sided coin. So, you know, great. You've got access to all these rooms. Well, now it's a responsibility to then open up those rooms for others who can't get in that room great you now are homies with all these you know flipping big swinging dicks and cool crew and all these other shit it's like fine they're just people to me but their insights can genuinely help a lot of people so what are you going to do about it and i i think for for me i was very um very conscious it so it actually i didn't realize what was happening until probably maybe the third week or probably the Mm -hmm. second week where people i'd be going yo jump on the show and they'd be like oh no nah, man you've had all these other hitters and it became like this i didn't realize the that people were looking at the positions of the people not actually the person yeah yep and and in my head i don't see that like i genuinely i'm like no that is steve and that is bob and that is sally and that is what who they are not what they do but people it just sort of it was, it was quite just an interesting take on maybe some humanity type shit or community i guess but um yeah, then I felt started feeling quite proud that I was like, here I am, you know, swearing and wearing a hoodie and drinking whiskey and talking shit and like, <laughs> these fancy people that are in these fancy worlds. But we are having a genuine conversation, and the majority of the feedback that's came back through was um was very much just humanizing those that they didn't think were that human. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what what you've brought is the ability for others to feel connected to folks that maybe. You're right. We're a little bit further apart. I know from, you know, the last 20 years in big corporates, it always amazed me when I've never been able to not walk down a hallway and high five a CEO, ask them how their kids are doing and, you know, what country music they're listening to the next day type of thing and just banter. And I've had so many people go, oh, my God, you talk to them. And I'm like, what? It, this person is a human. This is a person who wants to have a conversation and to talk and to lead and to do that. They need to be able to connect. But there is that that title as ego, as who you are. And Position, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. And I've seen throughout this, this moment in time, when you talk about the humanity aspect, it's been amazing. It's almost been a leveler um, because 
even if you step outside of the business world, I have been absolutely loving things like, um, I don't know if you saw the Stephen Sondheim Broadway live stream and they totally fucked it up for the first hour or so. And then <laughs> all of these Broadway greats just got on. They sang their hearts out. It was beautiful. That's cool. But it made them so much more relatable. And mm. every day for the last 50 days, like Melissa Etheridge has given an hour of her life to just sing songs and banter with people. My favorite, Uncle Elton, Elton John. He's like the king of social media. And like they're showing, they're showing, you know, warts and all who they are. And then also bringing some kind of um, happiness and, and livelihood to a time where people could just get real sad. And for me, that's been the beauty of it. So when you're bringing these, you know, 80 people on, it's just a real beautiful leveler because like you said, you're approachable. You're, you're Rebecca, you're, you mate, have a Coke with mate, yeah. um, you know, with bro, have a Coke with bro. And like, that's, that's how you feel. So you're a nice bridge between the, maybe, maybe the fear of talking to folks with those titles and, and a friend. So I think you're doing a great job. No, I appreciate it. It's, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's been, I know that in time, it will mean more than what it is now. And that's cool. And so I know that it's the right, it's the right thing to be doing, especially as mm -hmm. a nation that I care a lot about is currently at zero and how do you build it back? You know, it's, this is the shit's going to be a marathon. So um, that's where mentally I've, I've geared up for. I mean, especially, so we're really lucky in New Zealand. Yesterday we had our first zero count of COVID-19, but you're over in the States where I'm from and it's a completely different story. So you know, with a, with a foot in both worlds, how do you view the future and where things are going from that perspective? Are we all in it together as a global cohort or is it something no. where, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh -uh. <laughs> no, because, uh, everyone's in, let's look out for our own first, which is what you need to do for your people. Right. Um, the problem that has probably just become super clear is the unity that exists in New Zealand to get to where it is now with zero cases has not been the same approach as a, as a people, as a collective globally. So unfortunately, um, we've been unified, but now still have a massive challenge of, you know, commerce and, and community. Those that haven't been unified still are stuck on day, day one, step one with, with the, the health and medical side. Yeah. So, and that's going to just continue and continue. And, and that it's just a, a funky knife edge because, you know, you can't lock a nation up for a year, but at the same time you put people out and if it's still not gone, it's going to spread and more people die. So, you know, some of the stats that were coming out today was, was, was mind blowingly massive and, and it's ridiculously scary, you know, and you look at lots of different other places that aren't doing um, good jobs with the, with the opening up again and they're getting the second and third waves and they're having to go back inside. So, that balance off is super tricky and I genuinely don't wish it on anyone because, you know, you pull the trigger too late, a bunch of people die, you pull it too early, you you make it feel like you've got some like, you know, you're, you're forcing humans to do shit that they don't want to do. And, you know, human behavior, they'll, the weird thing is that there's a lot of people choosing to fight other humans instead of realizing that the battles were something that isn't human. And that's quite that's sad. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's, it's an interesting one if it was a war. And I know that, you know, a lot of people said this, if it was a war and you knew who your enemy was and you could see them and you could, 
you know, go, go forth and fight that battle. It'd be different, but you know, a virus that, that people aren't really afraid of that. We don't know, you know, if younger people aren't going to get sick. I was looking at um, videos of the protests in Huntington beach last week and just weeping um, because it's like, geez, who's going to take care of them now? I think of my brother on the front line and all of the shit he's going to have to put up with to treat these folks. And you just go, how selfish can you be sometimes? But, but I get it too, because the America I grew up in was heading towards this kind of small government and what you said earlier, which is take care of your own, but it's been take care of your own at all costs and, and beyond take care of your own, you have to have a lot of shit to feel good about yourself. Like, you know, there's, there's just so much about stuff and economics instead of going, what I, which is what I've loved with New Zealand, is it was, you know, unite against, unite against yes. COVID, whereas the United States was alone together. And I was looking, you know, the difference, of, yep. it was like, oh, well, shit, the United States is saying. There's two parts to it, right? So they say, you know, you, you're right with the Unite Together, but when you say look out, look out for ourselves, but we look out for New Zealand by looking after each other. In in America mm-hmm. and other spots, mm-hmm. it's like look out for yourself by looking out for yourself. <laughs> yeah, and well, that's what I mean. Appro- like even the words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. You, you, uh, yeah, you're I was right. looking at the government. You know, the the New Zealand. I think it's um, Clemager down in Wellington handled all of the official communications, and they just they just fucking nailed it. They did such a great job. They're still doing a great job of really concise communications. So we understand as a as a country that we're a we're a wider cohort of humans, but in the states it's like alone. They start it with alone Jeez. and then put together. And I'm like far out, man. Words matter, right? Just uh, words matter so so much. Yeah. Crafting, they, they did they, not craft the creative concisely. <laughs> I mean, some somebody was sitting in the room and was like, "We got to get this out quick." <laughs> yeah. I get it. It's quite. Oh, a, I mean, a, we're we're two pretty positive people, but this has been quite a depressing first twenty minutes. <laughs> I've, there's still been some giggles. It has been a, a, a depressing, but you know, I I would like to say as we we come out of the COVID talk, it is the truth. It's happening. It's contextual, and I feel like that what's going to come out of this, and this is without trying to be trite or saccharine sweet. I feel like we are as a as a global community going to see some of the errors of our ways potentially in the last, you know, 50 years, the, the air is getting cleaner. We don't have to drive everywhere. Like we're cooking at home every night and it's been awesome. You know, little things like that where we just got maybe a little lazy and too privileged for our own good. Um, I'm looking at places like India and, and other countries where, they don't have enough money even for face masks. And it's like, okay, how do we, how do we help with basic hygiene in other places that, that don't have that? Um, so I feel like there's a real positive side that will come out of this once we come out of it. Net net. I think humans are going to realize that there's way, way, way bigger fish to fry all around each of the universes. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right, let's get on to something else. Another C word that I wanted to talk about with you. Um, all of the interviews that you're doing, all of the the things that you create, all of the events that you curate, all of the the kind of mover shaker hustle, all of that kind of stuff that you do. I imagine it's driven by curiosity. Tell me a little bit about the role 
of curiosity in your life? So I failed high school. I couldn't get into university, but I would always be really interested in like how, how things work, the story behind the story. And I think right at the start when you, you know, you kind of, um, not that you're a little cheeky bastard, but when you are determined that there can be better ways to do things, you always look for the gap and the weakness and you always look for what's broken because you know that if you've got the entrepreneurial tendency, there's a faster, better, cooler, more creative way to do things. So when you mix, you know, genuine curiosity with a drive around entrepreneurship and creativity, that things always pop up like the absolute entire time. Like I've got a, you know, I've got an air table, um, sheet of venture ideas and I'm about up, up to 243 at the moment with just literally different business ideas and things that are always in my head. Cause I'll see, I'll see like little pockets of opportunity really wide. Like I listen to, um, it's just a, it's a really funky way my, my brain sort of sees it. It's probably taken me a, a bit to do, but you know, I love the fact that my network's so diverse. I love the fact that, you know, I've got my fingers in so many pies across different verticals. I love the fact that my, um, the, the average commercial conversation jumps between a million different things the entire time, because it actually gives you just a way better, um, one insight from one vertical that's got nothing to do with the other can be the different little lens that you put on it to see things differently. And that curiosity, like consistent curiosity has always just kind of worked in my favor. You can see these next waves. You can see that next opportunity. And what eventually happens as a commercial byproduct is you spot a gap with a different way to think about a problem that ends up being something that usually pops. Right. So, you know, for example, I knew in 2000 and, four when I was in the States that or 2003 that eventually broadband internet was going to hit New Zealand then you instead of having a you know 56.6k modem you could ha- be able to have put five photos on one static page and it could be like a thing that people go to then I realized ah people are going to watch more um video wasn't out yet but you're going to be able to consume more photo content ah communities are going to get kind of curated and, 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 and get glued towards content. Ah, so then how do you commercialize a platform that, that drives niche content for communities? That's interesting. And that's when the first thing popped up when I, I, I launched my first sort of websites, uh, snow business in 2000, 2006. And, um, I saw the gap, you know, and I was just curious about it. So it's been massive for me. Um, it's been with me the entire time and forever will. So I, I'm always very just intrigued and I, I always like to ask questions, but it always comes with some type of business tangent or hooked as the byproduct after the creativity every time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I feel like, you know, this is one of the reasons why when you and I get together, we just talk until our ears fall off because I'm kind of, I sit within the same boat. I feel like our brains work in similar ways. Although the output of mine <laughs> has been less from the entrepreneurial side of things because I've always worked within the context or the framework of like a big organization. But my entire career for the last 20 years has definitely been similar in that it's gone, okay, here's here's what exists. Here's the framework of the process of how this business runs like a machine. The gap is the is the point at which the machine will slow down to optimize that. We need to understand that. And same with you. I started to see the gaps around content, community building, faster connection, video, um, the way that brands act, interact, and um, I guess 
curate their communities towards certain products or services. And I can tell you that it's been a, it's been a journey towards learning about how to have conversations and ask questions without, um, without people feeling put either put on the spot or that they, um, I don't know that, that, that you're calling into calling into account their own professionalism or expertise, because I found that being that person inside a big business that asks the hard questions or brings curiosity to the fore to go, Hey, we're doing a good job, but in five years, here's how we're going to, you know, beat the competition. It's been a hard thing to do to be that change maker. Have you found that? Have you found anybody kind of, you know, come, you go, Hey, there's an opportunity here. And they go, no, no, we're cool with the status quo. So two, I guess two parts, right. Is I've never been in a big machine really like you have. And in those machines, what usually happens is the way that it's been done. So your way of thinking always is going to be tension against the way it was. So there's always going to be a organic friction between what you're thinking and what world you actually exist in. Mine's probably on more on the outside because already when you're creating for yourself, no one's telling you stop because you're just doing it because you're deciding it. So the feedback loop is like, oh, this would be a dope idea. And then then the reverse is like, okay, cool. Let's do it. And you just do it, <laughs> right? So opposed to yeah. in a big organization, it's like, um, you know, you have a thought or a whatever, and then you've got to navigate the politics and the people. And 99% of the time, it's always just navigating the ego and the feelings of others. It's never about the thing. It's always about the person. Always. Correct. Never about the thing. Correct. And, and the, the best the best ones are is when you can be ruthless about the thing and everyone's non-emotive about the thing, and then the best thing wins. It's super – like it, crew, when they'd be working with me, you know, I'd have like 18-year-olds be like, oh, no, I think we should do this way because that's doper. And I'm like, I am non-emotive to the process. I am full emotive to the output. So I'm yes. just like – Tell me it's shit, but let's make it doper. Done. Boom. Next. That's exactly how I roll. I am not. Oh, my feelings are hurt because you think this is whack. If if you know, little Johnny says, "Hey, I really think we should try this different URL code at the end of it to, that sends them there to do whatever." I'm like, "All right, dope. Let's test it." Boom. And I'll just yeah, push go right it. then and there. It's out the door. And we find out, right? And and I'm the other way. So we've probably been fortunate in some ways and unfortunate in others because most of the time when you create for yourself, you start from scratch. When you're tweaking internally, you've already got budget and you've got brain and you've got you've got weight and, and cred. So, you know, the, the balance off of both worlds is is interesting. But net, net, what you find, and I'm sure you, you know, is you, you're never battling for the idea. You're battling against a person. And that's what's shit. That's right. That's right. And you nailed it straight on the head. I've always found that the second you can, and this is the, the trust building exercise and, and what I've always found that I love about you and what you do, because it, it just resonates with me because it's what I've had to do. I think it's what all humans should do actually, <laughs> is you spend time to get to know people. Um, mm -hmm. You can't just have somebody come in and trust you um, authentically from the word go. So I know a lot of the time I've spent in my business life has actually been getting to know people, what drives them, what are they passionate about, what outcome will make them look good, what outcome will make them feel good, um, and working towards that, which to your point exactly within the big machines, it means balancing a lot of politics, it means balancing a lot of interpersonal politics that most of the time have nothing to do with myself, you know, directly, it's, you're completely right, it's the process, 
But I love what you said there, Rebecca, about just getting things done. So that's always been my leadership style too. It's like, let's just test it. Let's try it. If we fuck up, if it fails, then at least it fails small and we learn and we understand, especially working in, you know, digital, social, emerging tech. Your ethos, I imagine then, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, is done is better than perfect. Is that right? I'm like, think it, create it, and then see if it was good. I'm just like, yep, done, next, yeah. scope, boom. Yeah. You know, but but I think that <laughs> the, the, the bit from my side, and I've thought about this a while, and I'm like, how have I got traction with a telco to back me or a flipping, a MasterCard to back me or a this board or this thing? And I, I, sometimes I've, I've kind of questioned a little bit of how I've been able to to create momentum and with organizations that don't have speed and I think I've actually cracked something and 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 I'll talk you through my my thinking and and I'll be just keen for your optics on it because I actually think it's turning into one of the biggest assets to actually create speed is um if you if you saw in the news that you know um pro golfer caught in Las Vegas drunk gambling with hookers and a bunch of blow and gets arrested and smashes glasses and is an absolute piece of shit you'd be like oh that's pretty gnarly oh who's it going you're like uh tiger woods you're like holy shit that is absolutely disgusting i can't believe it blah 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 blah. like how dare you know it'd be an, out- an outrage but then yeah. you change the name tiger woods with john daly and i think we might have even talked about this before then it, then exactly you laugh and it's like that's a flipping Wednesday afternoon for John because it's John Daly. <laughs> it's yeah. But t- take away the, the 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 names and the personal brand, it's the same thing. It's a professional golfer caught in Las Vegas with drunk with get hookers or whatever. Now, the bit that I find intriguing about it is it you laugh and you smirk because that's what's expected of someone that's nuts. The personal brand mm-hmm. precedes him of how he operates and rolls. So there's a level of expectation of how you think they'll be. And what I've come to realize is I'm kind of that now in many, in basically every room, I actually am that guy now where before I've even walked in, they know how I roll. They know what I think. They know what I look like, dress like, act like, talk like, what I probably think about shit, how I'm going to roll, how I don't follow any real rules. I just go create and do. And I build speed. So what actually happens is it's not a liability. It's actually your biggest asset because it means that you've got the leeway to, you are, you would be expected to act crazy and go fast and do crazy shit quickly, right? That's that's what they will expect. Now, if you tried to be act that same way, if you were inside that organization, it wouldn't work. You'd probably get fired. You roll like I roll and all of a sudden that's not only kind of expected, it's almost wanted, you know, so so in a weird way, the speed of um, the the I don't know if it's the personal brand, but the the reputation of of speed and execution and and what I represent and what I'm about and how I roll definitely has has made every single process faster, every single transaction quicker, emails shorter, no bullshit. So it's become a ridiculously massive asset for me, like one one hundred percent. The difference and where the danger comes is. You know, if you're known as gnarly, some people might think you're crazy, but I think at this point people know I'm crazy, but I'm not nuts. And there's a difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'd say, I'd say also you could dig into crazy meaning that you're, you're willing and able to take risks that potentially within the machine or within the, the process, as it were, 
are going to be risks that aren't going to reputationally hurt a business, but because of what you've done in the past, they know there will be some kind of a positive outcome. Yep. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's kind I, of my, my take on it. Yeah, but I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while you were talking about that, you know, you talked about personal brand. I think what, and built going all the way back to the beginning and talking about what you've been doing, you know, it's not even just through lockdown, right? It's for the last, it's for years. You've been yep. <laughs> exactly what you said. People know what they're going to get when they talk to you. They know they're going to get reckless optimism. They know they're going to get somebody who's thinking from a million different um, angles, right? And that's what I always brought to business too. I know for at least my last four jobs, um, <laughs> my reputation hath preceded me. And yeah. that reputation was a good thing. And that reputation was built on like a decade and a half of, of giving. And that meant of sharing thoughts that, that were resonant with some people, maybe not with others. It was going out and speaking in a public. It was doing events. It was sitting on boards. It was doing all of these things so that when people talked about my personal brand, it wasn't anything that it was contrived. It was authentic. When they saw the triple denim and the ball cap and the Doc Martens at the boardroom table with everybody else suited and booted and ready to go, they knew what they weren't going to get was bullshit, but they knew they were going to get exactly what you said, crazy, but not mad. You know, she's going to come yeah. at you with questions, but they are going to be kind and considered questions because of the way that my life has been. I've always moved towards different kinds of people and ideas and business opportunities. So I think if you walked into a room, <laughs> Rebecca, with a full on like three piece suit, like blue tartan, whatever it is, and you started to pip pip and poop poop, there'd be this dissonance, right? Where people would go, what the fuck? That is not who we brought on board. Yeah. So exactly to that point, which even drills it down even more, it, the, the expectation is not only there. If I then all of a sudden started rolling three piece suits, trying to ball out, everyone would think I'm a sellout. How ironic is that? Correct. It's it's insane. <laughs> it's yeah, absolutely yeah, insane. But, but I think it's it's great. I think it's it's made my life so much easier. Like net net, it's so much better. Now, don't get me wrong; it comes with a shit ton of you know haters and bullshit and whatever. But I'm just like, look, that's the cost of doing business because my networks, my friendships, my my life, my community, the people I help, the messages which I don't show publicly ever to people who are in different spots and they can see you know, positivity and whatever, I think it's flipping worth it. And now for me, I feel that, you know, it's, I'm in a very privileged position where, you know, I'm bridging this funky bridge between the streets mm -hmm. and, the, and the boardroom, right? Um, yeah. You know, like I, I mess with the people, like I'm for the people, <laughs> but at the same time I'll go, you know, throw brain hammers with, with the hitters as well. So it hits both sides and that's what, it, it stuffs a lot of people up and I've, I've got to learn that a little bit as well as, um, you know, if they just see a bunch of short content of you online, you probably think it's like, Oh, you know, some crazy young buck millennial or whatever. But, you know, I think after the reality is after any of my long form interviews of, of, of stuff there, I think people realize, you know, how I actually think what's going through my head, where my headspace is actually at. And there's obviously a bit more depth, not just width. And I think that's where it's, it's lethal because then all of a sudden you're talking about gnarly shit, but you're there in a hoodie with the flipping a hat and some Nikes on, you know, it's, um, it's a, well, then it I feels like you're talking to somebody. Yeah. Well, it feels like you're talking to somebody who you could go have, um, a whiskey or a beer with at a barbecue. And you know, when you're two or three deep and you're just in that real, like, 
I'm going to have this conversation. You could dive in, you could have the conversation and the conversations feel not only real and authentic, but I think they feel safe and safe in a way that like I could listen to you have a conversation with Nigel Latta while I'm in my trackies upstairs watching the chase. And I feel like I could be in the room with you guys and it would be just as comfortable. And that's the magic. Yep. I agree. Totally, but, the, totally. the, but to your original point is it's the consistency. What I notice when waves come, a lot of people jump on a wagon, but they quickly jump yes. off. The difference is when I do something or I have done something, everyone knows that I've been doing the same thing for years, the entire time. And you can't fake, you can't fake it for us. At the start, a lot of people thought, you know, he can't be like that. He's not, that can't be like him. Is this some character or some shit, you know, for the first year or two. And then when it's like, video 1050 and it's the same <laughs> shit and it's and it just keeps going and going you know I, I i want people to to realize that you know this is me this is how i roll and you know as far as the rest of it is i want them to also know not that it's like some sort of psycho headspace thing but you know i've been doing this for years f- for free to help others anyway so i'll yes. i'll go to the death and i'll work harder than you i'll go gnarlier than you I'll, I'll have longer stamina than you. I'll flip and just go gnarly. And I make it, I make it a competition against myself to a lot of times, but you know, net net, it's worked out pretty good. That was actually my next C word on there was competition. Yeah, and I'm ridiculously and understanding competitive. You know, your driver. I'm yeah, insanely competitive. Are. It's, it's, it's flipping stupid, man. Like, so my, my brain, so before snowboarding, I, when I was 11, I decided I wanted to play, nine I wanted to play um hockey uh, good so I was already in the Canterbury sort of rep team within a year um I then took up uh, soccer and I wanted to play for New Zealand and, and I was playing um I got into the New Zealand um under 15 16 team I got into basketball I wanted to play for New Zealand and then I was you know 11 years old I was playing for the New Zealand under 14 team so you know I went three three sports nationally by the time I was 15 then um skating as well so i used to rollerblade a bunch when i was back in like cheapskates days when i was a grommy got third at nationals then i got into snowboarding got number one new zealand got a silver medal at the world finals like this is elite gnarly shit and that's across flipping that's the what the fifth the fifth sort of sport that i was going at at a national sort of international level so it's that doesn't happen often right it's because you my headspace isn't right and i just i put something in my head i'm like this is what i'm going to do and i flip and go to town and i do it you know like i um I set a goal. I wanted to um, uh, learn to play golf. So I had th- three th- when me and my wife first met, I had three goals for the six months while I was in the states. I wanted to learn to learn to um, play golf, learn to surf, or two life sports: learn to play golf, learn to surf, and then support a football team. So everyone said the Raiders were the worst. So I support the Raiders. Went to Cabo, learn to surf. I was gonna say. <laughs> And then I got into golf and I was like, all right, in golf, w- w- what's tricky? They're like, break 80 and I get a hole in one. I'm like, all right, dope. I'm going to break 80 and get a hole in one. And then I took, I played golf four times a week, got lessons three times a week. And within a year, I broke 80 and got my hole in one. And I was like, all right, cool. Next. Like, I'm that guy, right? Yeah. So yeah. competition for me has always just been insanely huge driver, like absolutely massive. I, I look at the competitive landscape now within whenever I do business stuff and I can, I can see it and I play chess as well because that's another probably big the strategy piece of how I think about things long game and you know we've talked about this so I kind of I'm playing five ten moves ahead and I want everyone to think that I'm just a 
dumb dude in black just hanging in the corner that doesn't know what's up. And it's not until years later when things pop, then all of a sudden everyone's like, what the fuck? And then I'm like, there you go. Yeah. You know? So yeah. That, that's, yeah. But yeah, I get fired up when I, totally. I get, I get into it. Yeah. I feel, I feel the exact same way in that it's funny how things come around because I've, I, I've heard it explained and I really love the explanation. It was my friend Kasim. He said that, you know, when, when you kind of work in the headspace of, of folks like you and me and Q and all of these, like, um, I guess you could say innovators or, or folks that are, you know, seeing a different landscape uh, than what's right in front of us is it's our job to kind of um, run ahead on the trail and, and blaze the trail for everybody else. But then it's an even bigger job to run back and go, okay, I, I went ahead on the trail and now I'm going to help lead you there. And yep. I found over the last, you know, five, six weeks in the work that I'm doing now on my own to what you said earlier about the freedom to do different work is that everybody's gone oh shit, we have all of our staff working from home now. We have to adopt and adapt new tech, new platforms, new ways of communicating. We have to also increase employee engagement. We have to understand engagement. We have to actually just be nice to people. How do we do this when we're afraid? And people have looked to me and gone, oh, it's the mad, it's the mad professor of doing just that. Whereas, you know, for years, um, I think people thought I was just kind of out on my own there was a real uh, strategic lilt to what I was doing and where I was going. Because if you run ahead on that path, then it is so much easier to come back and hold people by the hand and go, it's cool. I actually blazed the trail for you, or I, I know the trail that others have blazed. Let's go do this together. But to your point, you know, it's, it's one of those things that ha you have to be consistent. And for me, that consistency yeah. is not, I'd say less competitiveness other than, with myself, because I'm with you. Um, from the time I was four, I've been playing sports. My dad played uh, baseball for the Dodgers. So Sick. I could, yeah, I could throw and catch a ball before I could probably walk. Um, I was a little slugger when I was four and everybody else was six, you know? So there was always going to be something I needed to do. Um, but I think, I don't know if it's a male, female thing. You and I've talked about this before, but there comes a point in the life, I think, of of most women where it's like you get to a point where you are consistently doing well and then maybe doing better than others. And then everybody wants to knock you down a peg. I mean, I don't know what kind of feedback you get on content and free thought on social media, but I consistently get death threats and it like on content, like talking about so weird. Um, strategy for brands. I know. And people, and it's, and it's 100% men who want to have me off the earth because I have an idea. But it's there comes a point where you're like, okay, fear. it's crazy, man. But it's like the only competition I see now is, is that within myself. And I'm with you in that if I want to do something, I want to try it out. I want to get really good at it and then go to the next thing. So today I was tutoing around with my website before talking to you. And I'm like, cool. Yesterday I put out my first email marketing campaign. I understand it at scale, you know, um, ridiculously been doing it for decades never done it for myself it was freaking awesome to do that i did all of my seo this morning and i'm like cool now what am i going to learn how am i going to change this and then how do i apply that down the road um but it's so one of those weird. things where you get death threats it's so ahead. weird no, i was just saying stuff well, like back to that it's like because i'm i remember in snowboard world this i had this one hater on some snowboard forum in 2004 on this website and he was saying i was shitting this and that and i i was like 19 want to knock a dude out and I'm still on my street shit. Yeah. I'm like, sweet. I'll be at the bottom of the snow park chairlift at 12 o'clock tomorrow on Saturday. I'll see you there. And literally I rolled up, which is ready to rumble, man. Cause I just thought, I was like, you know what? Stuff it. 
I'm probably like, I'm six foot, 100 kgs. I'll handle myself. Stuff them. I don't care who it is. I'll go for a crack. And I'd already committed that I was going to, I was going in to ruckus because I, I, I figured my odds on it was 95% going to be bigger than them anyway. So who gives a shit, right? But then in snowboard, in, in this world, I've never, I've never had any public hate like that. And if someone did it to me, I think I'd probably take it personally because I, I guess, I don't know. I just probably want to go knock him out or fight the dude, but it's kind of not the right approach. But what I've sort of found, it goes the other way was, you know, when I'd have haters or people against me was when I was, you know, a young buck, I wanted to cry. When I was in my twenties, I wanted to fight them. When I was in my thirties, I now feel sorry for them. And in my forties, they're probably going to want jobs from me. So I think it's the, the same thing changes with time with your headspace, right? I think for me, it's been, it probably fast forwarded because of, because of the gender gap and that I'm just bored with it now. And whereas it might've impacted my mindset in the past and it might've made me stop and think twice or not post something or share something more safe. So share something written potentially by, um, yeah. So, but it's also been, (laughs) no, I know. Well, it's been interesting because, um, the older I get too, and the closer I get, you know, we talked about this too, when you're young, you're like the fours and the fives, then you come the threes and the twos and the closer you get to the number ones and the more that they, uh, they, they trust you. Like I just get emails from the CEOs going, Hey, so these three people just emailed me today and said that I should fire you because, um, I don't know, you said the sky was purple when it was actually pink. And they just think it's hilarious and they send it to me so that I can then respond directly back to these folks. And, you know, it's an, I call them the Steves because most of the time it's a, it's a three out of four is a Steve, a white guy from Gray Lynn who wants me to be fired or dead. And I will write back to the Steves and then also go to their LinkedIn and have a look. So they know I've been there looking and they go, you know, Hey, you, we're probably going to be at the same conference next week. I'll be the keynote speaker there and you'll be listening to me. If you've got some questions afterwards, why don't we meet up and have a coffee? Because I'm really concerned that my opinion on storytelling triggered you enough um, to write to my CEO. And then you usually get back, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't know. And I'm just like, dude, you nice. you are an asshat. The sh- that, you know what? I think we talked about this before, this idea of this you know hashtag business bullies thing. The next hate mail you get, can you just screen grab it, cover out the name, and then just start posting it and be like, um, here's today's hashtag business bully, and then just watch what happens. And I think it will steamroll other people to take screenshots and do the exact same thing because it's all they try yeah, to be tough a- behind the scenes. And I mean, shit, I could probably take the same mindset now. Do that, and then 95% of the time I'll probably be bigger than them anyway. So if you need backup, you know I got you. Stuff them. <laughs> yeah well i mean it's one of those things where i've reached just it's so banal it's so boring um but it's it's also i think you're right it's there's this maturity that comes with it used to hurt my feelings it used to make me you know post safer things to the point where it's like fuck it last year it was like i'm just gonna have my own voice i'm gonna be comfortable in the space i take up in the world and i'm gonna share because anything i share i feel like it has to be a give So the ego uh, for me that speaks is if you put anything out into the world, it needs to help another person. If it is there for you to self-aggrandize or to pat your own back, Cassie, you're being a dickhead. Stop it. So everything I'm going to put out in the world is going to be, you know, 
No, no, I get. It. I was just trying to say, as um, Rico Ritchie once said, the famous rapper, he says, "If you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping." <laughs> popping. If you ain't got no haters, <laughs> you ain't like, popping. I get it. Yeah, and also, and also, if your values are like, I'm my purpose here is to give, and my values are like you know kindness and fairness and and truthfulness, then that's cool. And last year, you know, it was a full trip around the sun of creating and sharing openly and authentically and at the end of the year i'm it was really cool to win the the sage of the year award um with stop press and those guys i know it's it was so cool because it was like fuck i finally flexed into who i am and my my colleagues and my cohort and and they they were just so kind and recognizing that and i thought wow okay keep keep doing you boo you know you gotta do you boo Hundred percent, especially when there's not many people that roll like you. Stuff it, embrace it. Do you next? <laughs> it's like life's too short, man. Bye, Felicia. It's like <laughs> life's way too short for the shit. And I think what happens is, you know, I, I, my biggest fear is to have regret. So I'd rather just create, do, go. And as long as people know your intents, right, they'll give you a lot more leeway. So be the John Daly, oh. have the right intent, do your thing. Yep. Stuff it. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've I um. I'm 100% with you on the regret thing. I think especially when you become a parent, you see how fast time flies. Like, I know you've got two little kids, two little girls, and my little girl, who I can remember being the same size as yours, is like almost 14. And I'm just like, holy sheep shit, where did that time go? And I don't want the next 14 years to go by with the same blink and it's gone. Um, So yeah, that's that's where we're headed. I get it. Okay, well... Rebet, good bants. I have a few questions for you to for end this. I know I didn't I didn't tell you what they are, uh, but they're just a you know quick a quick few, go. which I'd love your response on. Go. All right. Best song to dance to in the living room during isolation. Oh, uh, oh actually, <laughs> I play Lost Frequencies live, which is like a flippant EDM music thing, but for my um for my kids, my one-year-old and two-year-old, and they absolutely love it. Lost Frequencies live, <laughs> live set from like Tomorrowland or I don't know what the one of the other ones are called. They love that shit. I don't know if it's the, the lights or the live music or whatever, but that is it. And so we just have the mad family boogie down with me and my two daughters to um, Lost Frequencies live set at Tomorrowland. Awesome, awesome. Um, I don't know if you're a big Netflixer, but Netflix recommendation of the moment. Uh, I'm not a big net. I, I don't really watch, I don't watch the news and I don't really watch, I don't watch any TV. Um, and I don't really Amazing. watch, no, I don't, I, I, um, think, but I will say <laughs> Carol Baskin. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> Carol good morning, Baskin. you cats and kittens. Oh my gosh. Oh. I've never seen something so wild in a very long time. Oh. Uh, and so it would be Did, Tiger, Tiger King. It's just insane. Absolutely did insane. You see that, um, did you see that uh, Nicolas Cage is going to be playing Joe Exotic in a TV series? Oh, jeez. I would I would pay double the subscription to watch that. <laughs> it, it's just, that's fucking epic. So yeah, done. Oh. Tiger King. Best piece of advice you could give a young buck coming up uh, now? My mum told me when I was 11, it still sits true today. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Oh, there's a good old country song. You got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. 
So yep, I, oh, I'm with send her. me the link. I, I need to know about the. I, I get it. It's good. You got to be your own man, not a puppet on a string. That's the next line. There you go. It's fair. I'd, uh, I'd agree. I mean, <laughs> yep. I, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, country music has a lot to answer for, my friend. Um, last question. Best snack uh, for lockdown. Best lockdown snack. So I can't cook. Um, and I'm currently in week six of trying to do a toasted sandwich. And I keep burning I've it. Seen and I've seen your toasted it, sandwiches. I... I burned another one yesterday. I've been doing all this shit. I've been flipping just it, I get very stressed in the in the kitchen and I I don't handle well with that. So if I could <laughs> run a thousand employees in a flipping billion dollar budget or have to cook for two friends or two strangers, I'd I'd rather run the company. It's that bad. Like it's actually that bad. <laughs> so something pre-made then. Yep. Or just I'll, I'll, most of the time I'll just go I actually eat out pretty much every single meal for the last 20 years <laughs> that's the truth yeah. yeah we've uh we this week had our kitchen torn out so once we went from level four to level three that we literally had it torn out there is nothing in the room that once was our kitchen so it's like at home camping we've lasted two nights and I'm ready to um take away every night now so I get it I feel your pain um yeah, I'm just. If I was good, it'd be different. I'm just. My brain, my, my skill set's just not meant for the kitchen. That's all. <laughs> Luckily, we're living in a time where it doesn't have to be. That's fine. Yeah, I love. Yeah. Let's do another yeah. one of these, but the, next time with with some faces, so we can smile more. <laughs> yeah, I'm smiling a lot as like a little fool. Actually, nobody can see me, but um, <laughs> this happens every time we have a chat. But thank you so much um, for everything and for signing in and having this chat. I really appreciate your time. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I really, really love what you're doing. Love your work. High fives when I'm back. Thanks everybody for joining Robette and I for that awesome conversation. As you can tell, I just love chatting to Robert, his brain works on a level that just amazes me at all times. Kind man, fantastic, fantastic entrepreneur, and just a real, real weapon. I just wanted to say, if you like the podcast, then please give us a follow on iTunes, on Anchor, on Spotify. Tell your friends, tell your whano, tell whoever you want to tell. But first and foremost, uh, thank you. From me to you, thanks for listening in. I appreciate it and stay tuned for more episodes in the near future.